You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. I could stick around with that wonderful passage of scripture, that, that poem that describes Jesus, the one who, though he was in absolute nature and essence God, he didn't consider God, uh, equality with God something to be grasped, but stepped down, made himself as a servant to all, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place. I, I could linger on the name above all names. Uh, you know, I could tell you uh, things like what it means that he's the Lion of Judah, that, that he's the, the light of the world, that, that he is all of these different things, the son of man, the son of David, the son of God. I could spend a message on each of those and talk to you about the name that is above all names. But we're going to save that uh, for another series and move on today to Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13. We're just going to stick in with these two verses today. And these two verses can often lead us into some confusion and perhaps some misapplication of them. So I'm just going to pause uh, and I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and just saturate this and everything I say. Heavenly Father, I, I come before you now and I just ask from my weakness, uh, from, from the, the lack of intellect that I can apply to knowing you, And I come and I ask you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to say true and right things about you. Help me to speak in a way that your Spirit can make helpful to the hearts of those hearing this morning. God, we do love you, and we recognize that your name is wonderful. Your name is victory. Your your name is the very name that leads us out of slavery and places us into freedom. So help me to represent you well as I speak. Help me not to speak in error, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There are some difficulties here. And last week I was saying, better yet is coming. And this week I'm saying fear and trembling. And it's like the two don't seem to really kind of mesh too well together. And I think we can fixate upon work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, It seems really heavy, weighty, kind of inconsistent with what we've been talking about in terms of grace. Uh, Don't get me wrong, there is a weightiness to this that I don't want to sidestep. But misapplying this will lead us into perhaps legalism, where, where we feel that salvation depends upon me upon my performance. I've got to do things to make God happy with me, and therefore the more credit I can stick in the account, the more salvation I kind of get, the better a Christian I become. And and that's problematic because it leads to pride, and it leads to elitism, or it can lead to despair because we realize we just can't do it. 
Uh, the other thing it could lead to is laziness, where we go, <laughs> fear and trembling, don't like that much, so I can't be bothered to really figure out what it's about, I'm just going to leave that behind, or, uh, and ignore it. Or license, where, where we actually decide we don't like what that seems to imply, so we're going to imply our own thing on top of it, so that it's not really saying what it's saying, but it says what we want it to say. Now, I don't want to do any of those things today. We'll not be doing that. Fear and trembling, though, isn't the main point of these two verses. Okay, it is important, but but there's a danger that we try to sidestep it altogether rather than understand it. So we are going to circle back to that later. But really, I want to start with the therefore. Now, you might have heard people say, You've got to ask, when you see therefore, you've got to ask, what's it there for? Okay? Because it's a connective kind of word. It's saying, because of this, then this. So the therefore puts this into the context. You can't just pick these two verses out and and, and throw them around. They, They fit into what Paul is saying here. So firstly, they fit into this developing thought in chapter 2. In relation to verses 3 to 5 about Jesus, Paul is saying all of that about Jesus, and now therefore, this. So, so it fits in with that. So when he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, have the same mindset as Christ, how he began this chapter, this fits into that context. The, the, the example of servant obedience, which is in turn related to the fact that God exalted him. If you remember last week, there was a therefore. Jesus did this, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place. The previous therefore was God's response to Jesus' actions. This, therefore, is about our response to God's actions. Okay, ponder his example. But it's also in context of the whole letter So when we've been talking about these mega themes of grace and joy and freedom and peace, this fits in that context. So somehow fear and trembling fits into the context of a God who provides joy and gives grace and grants peace with God. It's all part of the same story and it's part of the same story of the whole of Scripture. Scripture is the story of a lost and broken humanity that is being pursued by a loving and mighty creator. God is restoring creation to how it should be, to how he created it to be. He is pursuing all of creation to make it new again. That is the story of scripture, and that is the story of salvation. You remember that word came up weeks ago, uh, soteria. It means rescue. It means deliverance. God is a God of rescue and deliverance, and this is really important. What is abundantly clear here and in all of scripture, is that this work is God's work from start to finish. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, right? That's where this letter started, isn't it? Verse 6, I think, it's right at the beginning. God who began a good work in you will complete that very same word to fulfill, Paul says in these verses, his good purpose. 
It's God's work. He's the initiator. He's the owner of it. And he's the beneficiary of it. And we also benefit as he does. So you can't take credit for salvation. This is important because it will circle into this in a second. You can't take credit for salvation. You, You haven't done anything to earn it. It's not your understanding or your intellect that's finally like, oh yeah, I see that that's all true. Yes, that happens, but that's not saved you. Okay? It's not that you're like a super spiritual person. And so for that reason, you have salvation in Christ. Like you've got some supreme spiritual capacity. You see people all over the place saying, well, I'm a very spiritual person. Lovely. But salvation is from the Lord and not from your spirituality. Do you know what? Humans are spiritual people. Now, we might fill it with some sort of esoteric spiritual stuff, or we might fill it with football and jobs and finances, but there's a spirituality. We're hungering to worship something outside of ourselves. And it's also not not that you've behaved well enough. And the good news of that is that even if you've behaved really badly, salvation can still be yours because it's not based on how good you are, how many times you've been to church, how well you sing, whether you clap in time or not. I don't know. Like, There's nothing that you've done to earn salvation and nothing that you can do. It belongs to God and it's gifted by his grace through Jesus Christ's work that we just talked about last week, Jesus being our rescuer. You know, Jesus, Yeshua, means God saves. So literally, Jesus' name, the name that is above all name, declares that God saves. <laughs> so salvation, saving, rescue, comes from God through Jesus. Now, previously, I used that analogy about being lost at sea. You're in the middle of the ocean, miles from land, your boat's sunk, and you're swimming around, bobbing around, you know, maybe with your life jacket, but you know you're in big trouble. Now imagine if the RNLI get on the radio to you and say, look, you need to work out your own rescue. Figure it out for yourself. You know, give us a shout when you get back to land, but you're going to have to save yourself. Like, clearly... The RNLI wouldn't do that because it'd be terrible and nobody would want to give them any money. Okay. (laughs) They don't ask you to organize or affect your own rescue. And they don't also imagine they're saying, sort out your own rescue. And by the way, be afraid. (laughs) So that's not what these verses are about. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It isn't like, sort yourselves out, guys. And by the way, fear me. That's, that's not what this is all about. It's not about working for our salvation. It's about working out our salvation. And so this is our major principle for today, right? You cannot work out what hasn't been worked in. If you haven't got an input... There will be no output. Now, you've probably seen all the bands wear, like, headphones. It's not that they're just listening to podcasts while they're playing or something like that. These are connected in this little box here. Let me show you Kareen's one. This this little box here, basically, it converts a signal from over there, which means that every instrument and every voice can be fed into here and into their ears because all the um, amplification points that way. So, so basically, the way that the singers and the band hear what's going on, hear what Ian's doing, is they've got that, they plug into that, and they can turn it up or down. And so when I'm playing, they turn it right down. 
<laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't want to hear that. They've got control because they've got an input. They can work out what it's going to sound like because of what is coming in. But sometimes we have all kinds of issues with that. And, and one of the issues, a couple of weeks ago, none of us were, had anything in our ears and we we're all trying to figure it out and we're looking at this and there's no lights on and we're like, what's going on? And somebody had unplugged a lead that runs from the main desk that everything inputs to and, and to the thing that converts that. Are you, are you with me? So, so the thing that sends a signal, an audio signal from there to there to here was unplugged. And there was no input. And if there's no input, it doesn't matter what you're doing here, there's going to be no output. And another time, everyone else is fine, and they can all hear, and I'm stood there like trying to play the piano, and I'm like, I can't hear anything. What's going on? What's going on? And I realized after a time, I just not plugged my own headphones into the machine. It was entirely my own fault. So I had to figure it out, plug it in, and then I'm away to go. You know, there's, there's a working out process that is upon us to do, but that working out is pointless if there's no signal from the input. It's so super important. You cannot work out what has not been worked in. So let's take a look at what God is working in. And I honestly, I could get lost here. But, but this is so good. And you have to know this to know the context of the fear and trembling. In fact, it, it gives you a really clear indication of why the fear and trembling is there. Paul says, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Let me say that again. Just let that land. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's God's work. God is the one who's working into you something of just amazing, iridescent value. Broadly speaking, what we're talking about here, what God works in, is salvation. But salvation is like a package deal. God doesn't just turn up and go, right, let's plonk you out of that mess. Sort yourself. There you go. You're free from that mess. Now everything is over to you. Sort yourselves out. Hopefully you can stay that way. That's not what God does. God works in us in an incredible way, a package deal of salvation. He doesn't just pluck us out and chuck us on dry land. This is a full, whole, complete intervention that we didn't deserve and we didn't make it happen. So let's take a brief look. Like there's, there's a few things. Each one of these things could be an hour's message. So I'm just going to give you some highlights, Okay first thing that comes in that salvation package, redemption. Now, what this means is literally the repurchasing of our soul. The, the human soul had been taken hostage by Satan, and God, through redemption, literally buys us back, repurchases us. It's like emancipation, it's like buying somebody out of slavery. And that's exactly what it is because we are bought out of slavery to sin in order that we can be children of God. That's incredible. Uh, the second thing is reconciliation. Now, now, reconciliation is talking about restoring broken relationships. 
How many of you have experienced difficult breaks in families? Or you've seen it in your friends and and it can be heartbreaking, but God is a God of restoration. And the relationship that he's most restoring is the relationship that mankind had with him right at the beginning when he created man in the garden. And he's restoring that broken relationship. We had no access to God. And yet through Christ, that, that restoration, that reconciliation is happening. So now you can have complete peace with God. That's reconciliation. The next thing, adoption and to sonship. And yes, ladies, I'm talking to you as well. It matters that it's sonship. I'm not trying to get a misogynistic thing over here. It matters because the way that inheritance is worked in the past was that the son, the oldest son, got the lion's share of everything. And what God wants you to know is that everything that is Jesus's is yours. You are adopted into sonship giving you the same standing before Father God as Jesus Christ has. That's amazing adoption. And then forgiveness. Forgiveness is an incredible gift that God gives us because we've all, we all carry junk. And we're not just like junk like we're victims. I mean junk like we were the persecutors. Junk like we were the perpetrators. Junk like we did wrong things. We do wrong things. We think wrong things. And yet in God, through Christ, there's forgiveness for sins. Past, present, future, wiped out. I, I love that, that hymn that, that talks about like our sin being nailed to his cross. And I bear it no more. Uh, and then justification. All of these are like parts of this gift of salvation that God gives us. Justification. It's almost like a, a step beyond forgiveness because justification is about the actual removal of all evidence of sin. So when God says in the psalm, you know, as far as the east is from the west... So far have I removed your sins from you. He's saying, not only have I forgiven it, but now I don't even remember it. The the evidence of that sin is gone, destroyed, burned. How amazing is that? Because sometimes I've let Jess down in my life, okay? I I know I've done it. And I know Jess has forgiven me for those things because that's how a a good, healthy marriage kind of works. But the memory is still there. Now, she doesn't hold it over me in any way. But the memory is still there. It's not like it's erased. What God does is erased. That's what justification is. I mean, some people say justification, justified, is, is just as if I'd never sinned. And I think that's a bit too simple, but it kind of gets the point. Like, erased. I mean, pause there. What are you carrying that you feel guilty about, that you feel shame about? Yesterday, maybe this morning, maybe 20 years ago, maybe a lifetime ago, and it burns you. If you're in Christ... You've received God's forgiveness. You've received justification. It's erased. So you can let it go because God isn't holding it over you. And then sanctification. This is the process of God working in me. This comes with salvation as well. He doesn't just pluck you out of the sea, clean you off, 
So there you go. He actually comes and takes an active input in your life so that you can live in the way that Jesus lived. You can live in the way Jesus lived. And, And that is sanctification. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And yes, guys, we get it wrong all the time. But, but the joy of sanctification and the joy of justification and the joy of reconciliation and the joy of forgiveness is that every time we screw it up, all we need to do is go back to a good father, put ourselves before him again. Is that not good news? The Holy Spirit does that by working into us the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The Holy Spirit works all those things in us in increasing measure. Like you watch a fruit tree, it starts like that and then it grows. And that's what happens in our life. So if you feel like you've got the tiniest little speck of an apple growing in your life from the Holy Spirit right now, just wait. Keep going to Jesus because what you will realize is that turns into the most healthy, vibrant, life-giving piece of fruit that could possibly be cultivated. That's sanctification. All of that comes in this package. And I haven't even really talked to you about spiritual gifts. I haven't talked to you about what that full inheritance looks like. I've not talked to you about the imperishable hope that we have or eternal life. I mean, big things. These are all part of that package but I need to move on that's what God works in all of those things like justification is like Ian standing here you know redemption is is like Leslie standing here And, and these things all compile and get fed to us in the package of salvation and if you're plugged into that then you'll hear music in your ears but you can't work in what only God can work in So when Paul says work out, he's clearly not saying make it happen. Rather, he's saying make it obvious. Let your light shine. Or rather, let his light shine in you. Not not your talents, not not your crazy skills, you know, or, or your whimsical personality, but the light of salvation revealed through Jesus Christ. Let that shine in you. Let the fruit of spirit, the spirit, pour out of you. Let it grow. That's what working out our salvation is all about. It comes from God. And so be seriously deliberate and conscious to allow what God works into you to come out of you. Psalm 46 says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. You're the streams. See it that way, like he's the river, the spirit is the river, salvation's the river pouring in. But the streams coming out of that, they make glad the city of God. You know what a joy you are to God. You are anyway. Actually, if you're saved or not saved, God loves you. He he wants that reconciled relationship with you. He takes great delight in you. He, He joys over you. Our responsibility is to outwork that. Paul wants the Philippians to work out what this business of being saved means in practice. Please don't see your Christian life as I was saved. See it as I am being saved. There there might have been a day where you yielded to Jesus Christ 
but the work is continuous. We are being saved. Allow to flow out of you that which he has worked in. And I have to ask myself, is there any such evidence in me? I mean, there should be, shouldn't there? There there should be a natural, like if that is plugged in correctly, if this is working correctly, I should hear noise. You know, and if, if we're plugged in to the gift of salvation, we should hear its music in our ears. And it should make us want to dance. But honestly, we often fail. We often misfire. We often get blocked up. I mean, Graham talking a few uh, that, you know, weeks ago, I'm glad he didn't go too far down that blocked up route and make it biological. He just kept it to the plumbing in his house. But he talked about the, the fact that his house, the, the pressure, the water pressure was bunged up because there was this thing called a flow restrictor in his pipes. And sometimes spiritually, he was saying that we get those things in our spiritual plumbing, if you like, that, that need to be dealt with and removed. That's part of our working out. If you're struggling this morning to outwork that joyful gift of salvation, well, go to God and allow him to identify some of the things you might need to do in order to restore the full force of that flow. Regular maintenance is required for the leaky spiritual plumbing that we have. You know, there's, there's some focus and there's some action that is consistently needed. And this is the work out, your salvation. Uh, somebody in the prayer meeting said that they really strongly felt that God was impressing that we just need to uh, put Jesus first, seek him first. That is working out our salvation right there. Put Jesus in his rightful place. Because if the input is correct, the output will happen. We're jars of clay, fragile, broken, chipped, leaky, cracked, and yet we carry the most precious, beautiful treasure that has ever been released into creation, the light of Jesus Christ. Uh, And so the Christian life should be one of being filled, pouring out, and being filled afresh. That happens sometimes when we worship, when we allow ourselves just to be lost in wonder. There's something that God does that pours in. And you know, when, when you ponder the joy of salvation, like it's really hard to stay grumpy. It's really hard when you consider the wonderful things that God has given to you. It's really hard to stay crabbit about life. It's really difficult. What happens is that joy starts to overflow. Are you finding that the flow of joy is somewhat restricted? Go back to the source. Go back to considering some of these wonderful things that God works in. And what does he tell us is essential for this? He says it's obedience. Don't much like that word, and I'm going to try and hit this all in the next 10 minutes. But Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue. This is what it means to have the same mindset as Christ. And his, like, you've done it in my presence, but now much more in my absence. He, he's not actually saying, well done, guys. I've heard that you're still doing this and you're smashing it. That's not what he's saying. 
What he's saying is, when no one's looking, continue to work out, continue to obey. When no one's looking, like, if you're able to come into church and put on a joyful face, but actually you go home and you're like, you know, there's something going on there. Take yourself back to the source. Take yourself back to obeying the voice of Christ, even when nobody is looking. Give him the room. So let's circle back around to fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So if God is the instigator and the outworker of salvation in our lives, then what is it that we're supposed to do? And what is the whole fear and trembling thing about? I mean, there's a seriousness and a severity to this. It's almost impossible not to see it in the text. Like I've heard that some people have said about this that it's about having serious respect for God, like a serious kind of respect. And actually, both the words that Paul uses for fear and trembling, there's two words here, phobos, which is where we get our word phobia from, and the other one is tromos, which literally means to quake with fear. Now, both of those words can be used and have been used elsewhere in Scripture to talk about respect. But it makes no sense to say, work out your salvation with respect and respect. Paul wants you to know that there is something of fear and something of quaking kind of trembling going on in this whole process. It's not simply about conscientiousness, hard work or respect, but fear. What gives? I I don't like that. I, I can almost feel some of the the joyful breath, the like sucking out of the room, even as I land on this. And maybe you're thinking, surely God's a God of love and mercy and grace. He is, absolutely. Or surely God's a God of forgiveness and peace, just as I've just said. And yes, he is. Surely God is compassionate and slow to anger. Yes, he is. So what's going on here? You know, we can have great difficulty with the concept of fearing God. I'm going to look at my notes a bit more in this section because I want to get this right. We've learned negative connotations of our own experiences of dangerous authority. We've learned negative connotations about dangerous authority. And we push against authority. We question it. We don't trust it. Sometimes even in our own families. My, my upbringing was, was an environment of dangerous authority. I feared my mum and my stepdad. I literally lost my bodily functions or my ability to control that once when I was about six years old because of the fear that they were able to induce with their dangerous authority. And we apply that to God. And so when we hear fear and God, we don't like it. But it's largely because of our own experiences. I mean, is that what this verse is all about? Or am I stretching it? It says, work out your your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God. So clearly we're talking about God here. The writer of Hebrews says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's, It's like this. In Mark 4... The disciples are in a storm in the boat. Jesus is having a kip. 
in the back of the boat. He's not bothered. They're petrified by the storm. The boat's rocking about. The water's coming over the edges. They're feeling the spray in their face, the wind. They know what happens for a fisherman when you're in a storm like this. They know there's one way this ends. And so they wake Jesus up and say, help, help, help. And Jesus, guess what? He helps. With a word, he calms the storm. Everything goes back to calm and peace and normal, which is what God does spiritually in our lives when we cry out to God to help. And yet, the disciples then are terrified, not by the storm, but by the fact that Jesus had the authority to stop it. They didn't know what they could do with that. Who? Who has that kind of power? And that terrified them. Like, you can be in the midst of the worst storm in your life and you cry out to God for help and it all just goes... Like, do you not find something of that? Like, what? That's crazy. Uh, Fear of the Lord, because he can demand your life at any moment. And he can ask for an account for it. I think that's something worthy of a bit of intrepidation. Is that the right word? Like, fear. Like, I think that's worth it. Uzziah, Ananias and Sapphira, Herod, they all devastatingly discovered how powerful God is in that area. But also, God's the only one who can grant life, can truly heal or forgive sin. When the paralytic man's loaded down through the roof, the thing that flipped out the Pharisees wasn't that Jesus healed the man, it was that he forgave the man. And they're like, who has that kind of authority except for God? And Jesus is there like, I know. That the woman who's thrown into the dust, caught in adultery, and and everyone else has to leave because nobody is sinless, and Jesus remains the one person who's committed no sin. And then he draws a line in the sand and he says, now go and sin no more. Like, there's a weightiness to that. The thief on the cross, there's a weightiness to that. That kind of power can be terrifying, but beautiful and captivating all at the same time. I went to the Bournemouth Air Show many years ago, a few times, it was amazing. Every so often the Vulcan bomber would come out. Huge, huge aeroplane. And, and you know, there's something as it roared down low across the beach. There's something about the sound that just got through all of your being. Like, it literally seemed to shake the sands beneath your feet. And you felt like it pounding on your chest. And there was a terror to that display of power. And it wasn't that I was afraid that I was suddenly going to be bombed by it. It was just, it was like, wow. It's that kind of power. In his book, Rejoice and Tremble, uh, Michael Reeves often describes the fear of the Lord, not, not as we associate fear, but in terms of total exhilaration. Like when you're standing near the edge of a cliff and you just feel all giddy and like, have you ever done that? And it's just like the the awesomeness of it, but also you're you're so aware, put a foot wrong. It's beautiful. It's to be seen. It's to be enjoyed. It's exhilarating, but put a foot wrong. Uh, And we know that we're in trouble. So here we go. I'm going to start bringing this right in now. I fear God, but, but not in the way that I feared my parents. Very different. I was living in constant terror and uncertainty, and that's not how God wants you to live. He wants you to live in freedom 
in the knowledge of his love and with certainty. That's why we're told we have a sure and certain hope. That the fear of God is one of the greatest joys of my life. You hear me? The fear of God is one of the greatest joys of my life. How? Well, instead of being the thing that makes me shrink away from him, it's the thing that most makes me draw near to him because I'm just so gobsmacked by his awesome power, his ability to forgive me, his ability to lift me, even out of the worst tangled mess that I've made. And he can pull terrifying and wonderful in the same breath. So it draws me near. Instead of stopping me dead, it gives me life. Instead of discouragement, It's the greatest empowerer of his love and the greatest proof that he is able to do everything that he claims able to do. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Multiple places say that in scripture, including Psalm uh, 111 verse 10. The fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have refuge. You know, if I was being bullied at school or other kids being bullied, you know, if they had a strong dad that was going to come and defend them, then they felt a lot better about it. You know, a father who can truly defend you against your worst enemies. Psalm 112 says, How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. The fear of the Lord is a blessing that aids us to work out that which God has worked in. Keep us on track and give us safe boundaries. Parents, you give your kids boundaries, right? They might not like it, but it's keeping them safe. My dog is sometimes stupid, okay? This will lighten the room a little bit. Don't, don't say that, she's stupid. No, but she's, she's not stupid for a dog. She's actually very intelligent for a dog. But she's stupid because she goes around the kitchen after I've been cooking and like stuff's falling on the floor and she'll just pick up everything. She doesn't care if it's a chili or something like that. She doesn't care if two days later she's going to be chucking up all the the garden or have diarrhea for the rest of the week. She doesn't care. She just will put her face into anything and eat anything and she'll just run off. She's normally obedient, but sometimes she doesn't listen to my voice. And sometimes she just runs off to go and find, like, dogs or people that she's excited to see. She doesn't listen. Her disobedience can be dangerous to her I want her to listen to my voice I I want her to obey my instruction because I love her because I want her safe you you tend to know how dangerous a situation Meg's in by how loudly I shout (laughs) you know and if we're up the mountain somewhere and she's by a cliff I'm really gonna shout and she knows if she hears my tone change like that she knows come back and she'll come back with her tail between her legs and she's a bit like frightened but like she's safe she's well she's healthy if you hear the voice of God it's a voice that is boundaried to protect you because he loves you a good parent we know this sometimes has to enact a a voice that we don't like 
in order to make our children understand because we love them and we want to keep them safe. That is what God does. He's a good father. He is perfect in all of his ways. Listen, anything that you know of earthly fathers where it's been let down over let down over let down or absence over absence over absence or violence on top of violence, God is not like that. You hear? God is not like that. Let go of your miscommunicated ideas of that dangerous authority and grab a hold of one who truly loves you who is able to make all things new and give you safe pasture. So let's stand together. I'm taking my time to wrap this up. I really want this to land properly for you. It's not about an angry God, okay? Take that from today. This is not about an angry God. While he is slow to anger, he is rich in love. You know, love is his character. God is love. God is not anger, but he's rich in love. He might go to anger, but his existence, his personality, his character is love. So salvation worked in by God and worked out by you and I. There's a serious gravity with which we must work it out as an act of obedience. What this looks like in practice, we're going to pick up in a couple of weeks' time, but you can't work in, work out, sorry, what God has not worked in. Let's bow our heads.